villains. Villains. <laughs> Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and I'm here once again with Denise Robinson. Welcome back. Hello there. Last week, we talked about heroes. This week, who are the greatest villains in the Bible? And this was really fun to look into. Villains have always had a soft spot in my heart. I love villains. Anytime I was in any kind of theater production, I always wanted to audition for the villains. I love the villain solos in Disney movies. I, oh man, I just love villains. I think they're fascinating. Who's your favorite villain? I think Maleficent. She's uh, just so fabulous. The like the reimagined Maleficent in the in the later movies. All Maleficent. Okay. I loved the original cartoon. Just like her regalness and just she's not gonna take any crap from anybody. And man, I I love her. But yeah. That, that's not the type of villain we're going to be talking about Oh, we're about not. Today. Okay. We can't sit here and have a whole hour on pod, on Disney villains. No, but that would be an amazing podcast that episode. That would be fun. But no, we're actually talking about even scarier villains because uh, a lot of these things are things that happen in real life. So, and I think that the real life villains... Man, like I prefer a Disney villain. There you go. <laughs> to the real life villains because I think the scary thing about real life villains is that you don't always recognize them. That's exactly right. It makes it hard. When you think of a villain, what do you think of? Well, I think the first thing that comes to most people's mind is evil. Yeah. This word evil. But I think there's so much more to a villain. There's revenge. There's, you know, I mean, all of us have some revenge in us, but this is revenge to the nth degree, you know, taking revenge to to another level. I think I think of maliciousness and maybe callousness and a little bit of danger. But here's something that I think almost every villain has in common is they're very clever, mm. very smart, Cunning. very calculating. Yes. And so it's interesting to put what we think is really a good quality in the mix. Well, and that's when I was thinking about uh, the people that I see as villains. For me, it almost always, and I know it's not exclusively this, but it almost always boils down to two traits, greed and pride. And ego, man, ego is so huge. So like seeking revenge, all of these things, it's motivated by pride. It's motivated by greed. I'm going to kill this person so that I can take their throne and take their power and take their wealth. Power is another big one. So power, pride, greed. And it's just like this stew pot that brings out the absolute worst in people. And so when I look at like some of the greatest villains in history, it's always got those three things in the mix, power, greed, pride. And here's something interesting. I would say, unless we're not being honest, that every one of us deals with those two. Of course. On a regular basis, not even just every now and then, on a regular basis. I think that's what I love about villains is I recognize the villain living inside of me. Like I know that I have the capacity to do evil if I chose that path. And so I think it's just so interesting to get into the minds of evil people and what drove them to that point, because I can recognize a little bit of myself in those steps that got them to the edge. And I just made a different choice. And it's interesting to think about what is it about somebody that we classify as a villain that makes them not stop, mm-hmm. whereas our mind goes, okay, I've, I've taken it this far, but if I take it one step further, that's really over the line. And the villain is like, nope, all in. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I want to do today. I think that that was a really good point because uh, we're going to talk about some of the villains from the Bible and we can talk about them at random in whatever order you want to. But what I want us to think about is this villain a monster or misunderstood? You know, I that's interesting because I do think there are villains that are misunderstood. That we have labeled as villains for our own narrative or our own agenda, but we maybe don't have the full story. Exactly. I think uh, I think some people some villains that are misunderstood are because of their appearance. Um, gosh, we're 
working on Beauty and the Beast here. And to to present that, I think Beast is one of those villains that's mis- misunderstood just because of his appearance. Mm-hmm. And so there's examples, literary examples of misunderstood villains. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same with Gaston. Gaston yeah. is the attractive ladies man. Like he should be the person that is the hero of the story. But we come to find out he's the true villain. Right. And then there's then there's in literary history, there's some villains that we don't know their backstory um, and we think of them as villains and then we find out their backstory and we're like, oh, they're misunderstood. The one that comes immediately to mind if you're a Harry Potter fan is Severus Snape. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he is no portrayed. spoilers. <laughs> we have some kids who haven't read through all the books yet. <laughs> well, I think he's misunderstood. Yeah. And so it's interesting to think about that and then think about these in the Bible. I think some of the people that we label as villains, I make my challenge and say they're misunderstood. Okay. So who would you say are your top three most evil villains of the Bible? And let's discuss. Okay. So what immediately came to mind when you first mentioned this, and it pains me to say this because it's a female and I don't like to, I I love to uplift women, but my immediate is Jezebel. (gasps) Jezebel comes to mind. And it's interesting because we even call someone a Jezebel today. You know, it's a a term that's been used before. That is so funny. This is a great one to start on because the more I was researching Jezebel, I put her in the misunderstood column. Oh, you did. You're putting her in the monster column. I'm putting her in the villain. You start. You start. Okay. That's interesting. So first of all, um, she grew up in privilege. She was a a princess and she grew up in privilege and she really expected to be treated with privilege her whole life. And so she um, married King Ahab, who is the king of Israel, and she and her husband were very devoted to the gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal, excuse me, it's Baal. I remembered that I've pronounced that wrong my whole life. So it's... (laughs) And continue to do so. (laughs) And continue to do so. It's Baal and Asherah. And they actually together made Baal the main religion of Israel. So think about that for a minute. God's chosen people, and then they make this the main religion. And so Jezebel led a persecution of the prophets of God. She killed many of them, and the rest went into hiding. She, um, The prophet Elijah actually challenged her that her prophets were frauds, and in a very showy display, he, he um, proved that. And of course, he retaliates by her prophets getting killed, but let's not go there yet. (laughs) I'm going there in my part next. (laughs) And really, no one was safe from Jezebel to the point where it even tells us that Elijah, after his big showy display, was afraid of her. So she, she wielded a lot of power. There was a man named Naboth who owned a vineyard, and it was his family's legacy, and King Ahab wanted that vineyard and Naboth refused because it was his family's legacy and he that was his livelihood. And so King Ahab said, okay, well, Jezebel was infuriated with her husband's lack of backbone and taking that vineyard. So instead of just taking the vineyard, which by the way, was the king's right, He could have just said, I don't care what you think. I'm taking it anyway. Instead, she concocted this scheme to um, bring Naboth up under false pretenses and and had him stoned to death so that... Yeah, that one was bad. That's bad. That one one was bad. That's bad. And then... um, So... It's just interesting that it continues that, you know, Ahab, her husband, was a very bad king. I'm not saying that they weren't jointly, but then their children, their two sons and daughters, were also rulers and were considered very bad rulers for Israel that did a lot of harm rather than good. And Jezebel's influence is really felt throughout their reign. Um, it's interesting to 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 look at how she died. So finally, um, her her husband had died and one of her sons took over. That son died, another son took over. Jezebel was still the power behind the throne, according to uh, his Jewish historians. And then um, 
And then Jehu comes to take the throne forcefully from the second son, and he calls Jezebel out to her balcony. And um, when she goes out to her balcony, her servants throw her over. Not a good relationship, I don't think, between servants and master. And that kind of makes me think, okay, what do you have to do for your servants to be the cause of your death? Okay. So, oh, and she was eaten by dogs at the oh, end yeah, of that, but I, I didn't go into the, <laughs> this isn't about gross. This is about villains. <laughs> yeah. She fell out the window and was eaten by dogs. That's the end of her story. Okay. So I'm not here to say Jezebel's a good person first and foremost. <laughs> so she made a lot of really, really, really bad choices. And I think probably you're more right than I am in labeling her monster. But here's what I will say. I think that there is something interesting in the fact that this woman stepped into power and held true to her own faith. And so I imagine myself, I grew up a Christian woman. I grew up in the faith. Imagine that I get married and I am asked to throw away everything I've ever been raised with and adopt the faith of my husband. Yes, many people have done it in the past, but I can't see myself doing that. And so we look at it through the lens of Judaism and saying this woman was unwilling to give up her faith and she was worshiping a false God and all. Well, to her, it wasn't a false God. Well, here's what I'm going to say on that. I, I, I think there is legitimacy in your argument. However, she took it to the next level. No, no, no. So, and I'm going there okay. too, right? So yes, wrong. She should not have started murdering the prophets of the Jewish faith, okay? And she was pretty active in that. But also, like you mentioned, Elijah turned around and murdered 400 of her prophets. Well, they fell off a cliff, I mean, mm, the Bible <laughs> says, the story <laughs> says that after he proved that God was more powerful than Baal, Yahweh was more powerful than Baal, he slaughtered 400 of her prophets. And so why are we saying Elijah's not a villain as well? If we're going to say that Jezebel is a villain, Elijah held true to his faith and went on a murderous rampage in the name of his God. Exactly the same thing that Jezebel did. The issue that I have with this whole story is I think that Jezebel is painted as a villain because she doesn't surrender her identity for a man. And every other woman in scripture who is uplifted as a hero in some way, she surrenders a piece of herself to the culture or to a man or to something that isn't a part of what she was raised with. And so I think that societally and culturally, the reason that we still call women Jezebels today has more to do with misogyny than it has to do with calling someone an evil woman. Well, and I think there's, I mean, it's interesting because in a group, I was just talking about the hero, Deborah, and I posed the question, was Deborah a unique woman or were there more women like her at that time? And the men just didn't write about them. So it could be the same from the villainous side, too. Were there, you know, I mean, women just weren't written about. Mm-hmm. So we can't automatically assume that they didn't show strength. Yeah. Well, and they just weren't written about. And that's the thing is like, I just hate this archetype continuing on to modern day women. And honestly, calling a woman a Jezebel today is the same as calling her a loose woman. Well, this whole idea of Jezebel being a temptress is really nowhere in the Jezebel story except for one place where a man was about to kill her son and it as fighting words, it was kind of like one of the original, your mamas. He called out and said, your mother is a loose woman. And I won't use the words that he used because it's not appropriate for the podcast, but he basically, and that's 
what he he was insulting her son as he was about to kill him and then he got killed by her son instead but that's the whole narrative that created this story of Jezebel as a loose woman a temptress is this one word spoken by a man that had absolutely nothing to do with her actions and you could say oh the reason he was saying that is because she acted in this way but how many times have you heard men say horrible things about women that aren't true? Well, and it's interesting because I have never in my mind, I've, I guess I've always misused the word Jezebel because I've always gone to it scheming, cunning, conniving. I never even oh my gosh. realized when I, that. Whenever, so I didn't Google that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'll tell you from my college experience, I remember, you know, those street corner prophets or preachers or whatever they want to call themselves. Um, I remember when I was in college wearing a short skirt, walking around campus and this man yelling at women, calling out their clothing, saying you're a Jezebel for it, it showing yourself wow. to the world and not being modest. And I think that that's the main way that that is used to describe women is to say a loose woman, um, a temptress is a Jezebel with which actually has nothing to do with Jezebel's story. Now, I'm not defending Jezebel. Like I said, she is definitely a villain. She did really, really bad things. But I don't know if she's more of a villain than, say, King David or Elijah or other people who have committed the exact same atrocities, and yet they did it in the name of Yahweh instead of in the name of Baal. Well, and that's the danger anytime we label anybody one way or another. I mean, we we label King David as a hero and he did some pretty awful things. Yeah. Um, he repented, he asked forgiveness. So, and that's the difference, I guess. Yeah. We're we willing to do that. Like the remorse. Yeah. But I also see part but of being honestly, misunderstood. Yeah. Part of being misunderstood is exactly what you say that their ideas and goals don't mesh mm -hmm. with what we consider are the right, good, ideals and goals. So Which it's very dualistic ultimately thinking. is subjective. Right. What you see to be right and wrong in some cases. Yeah. I think anytime we look at any of these labels mm -hmm. that we're we're calling ourselves to live in dualistic thinking, which doesn't allow for gray, doesn't allow for mystery, doesn't allow for any of this. It's just good and evil. Yeah. Right and wrong. And I don't know about you, but I don't think any humans. Yeah completely fit into that. Even the most horrendous person in history, probably we can find something that's good. And so, yeah, I guess you could actually say that every villain we talk about well, and is I think, misunderstood. Well, and I think that that's why we don't recognize villains among us, because everybody has both good qualities and bad qualities. And what we, we want to have that dualistic thinking and think of a villain as someone who is 100% evil incarnate. And that is rare. It is rare. And, and it's, so, and couldn't we say the same thing about heroes? Yeah. We could say exactly the same thing about any label. So Jezebel was a fun one to start with. Yeah. So um, who is yours that okay, comes to well, mind? Well, this one... I know you and I, I think you and I will agree on King Herod. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. I'm going to call him a monster. Okay. So, yet he did some good. Oh, are you going to say he's misunderstood? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> so, I honestly don't know a lot about the biblical narrative of King Herod because he's not really mentioned a lot, but we do know a lot about him as a historical figure. And so I actually turned to uh, more historical writings to try and figure out who King Herod is. Fun fact, I always think this is really fun when like biblical history and like ancient history come together and we see like meshing timelines because it, it kind of creates an anchor point in the Bible for us. But King Herod came into power at the same time that Cleopatra and Mark Antony got married. So, and Mark Antony was a big supporter of King Herod. Yes. He and got so a lot of his I power. I love stuff like yeah. that because I will watch every Egypt documentary you can imagine. I love Cleopatra. I love her story. And so it's just really fun for me to connect those dots. And it's interesting because so often in the biblical world, we don't take it and place it in context of history. Right. Um, and so King Herod came into power. He uh, 
was supposedly of the Jewish faith and became the king of Judea. However, he didn't really practice the Jewish faith. Uh, he was considered half Jewish. He had Jewish lineage. Yeah, but he... Mark Antony, or actually the Roman Senate named him King of the Jews, which is a very interesting title to have been given to King Herod. And I didn't know, I knew that there was like this beef between King Herod and Jesus being born, but I didn't know that Herod had actually been given the title by the Roman Senate, King of the Jews. Um, so I think that that's really interesting, but here, here is something, um, I, I read a lot about him. So first of all, he was known as a tyrannical runer, mm -hmm. ruler. He ordered assassinations to protect his crown all the time. He murdered two of his own sons and one of his wives. And so apparently like he was married to a woman who was not Jewish and wanted to marry someone who was Jewish because it would appease the people since he was king of Judea. He was king of the Jews. And so he wanted a Jewish wife. And so he just murdered her, got rid of her and adopted uh, and married this, this Jewish woman. So not a great start. Um, he didn't follow any Jewish customs. He lived in absolute decadence, which really bothered the Jewish people who were living in poverty among this king who was just outlandishly lavish with everything that he did. Um, he, he built swimming pools in his house. We don't think of that from that time. Oh, yeah, he did. Um, so, so here's some funny things. I don't know a lot of the individual details about his life, but I do know a couple of things about his death, which I hadn't learned from the Bible because in the Bible, it just says, and then King Herod died. Uh, but the truth is King Herod died in Jericho after an excruciatingly painful illness of an uncertain cause. Um, and it became known as Herod's evil. Um, Josephus, who reported on King Herod's illness and was kind of his scribe following him around, uh, stated that the pain of his illness led King Herod to attempt suicide by stabbing, uh, but the attempt was thwarted by his cousin. So his cause of death was so painful, he tried to kill himself, which is really terrible. But Josephus said that Herod was so concerned that no one would mourn his death, that he commanded a large mm -hmm. group of distinguished men to come to Jericho and gave the order that they should be killed at the same time as him so that the city would be forced to be in mourning on the day of his death. I'm like, what? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's so interesting because the entire Herod family has actually all the great ingredients for a soap opera. I'm surprised there isn't a movie about it's the entire insane. family. And there's a lot of dirt. I mean, you've just scratched the surface of well, the dirt I'm on the family. Hitting, I'm just hitting some of the murders. Like, <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he's like, I'm afraid people aren't going to cry yeah. when I'm dead. So murder all these people so that their families will mourn them and then they'll be yeah. mourning me. Our, yeah, our soap opera would include glamour, like you said, fabulous wealth. Our soap opera would include sexual misconduct. Our soap opera would include wife swapping, murder, plots, everything. Oh it would have it all. So it says, according to contemporary historians, Herod the Great is perhaps the only figure in ancient Jewish history who has been loathed equally by Jewish and Christian posterity, depicted by both Jews and Christians as a tyrant and bloodthirsty ruler. Um, so I feel like... He's been he's been described as the evil genius of the Judean nation. And I'll let you go into the genius part a little bit. But I just just all of this information instantly wants me to label him as monster. I as I was researching King Herod, I could find almost zero positive qualities in him in terms of compassion and relationships with other human beings. And one of the things we need to think about is during that time period under the Roman Empire, and one of the things Herod was very loyal to was the Roman Empire. And so one of the one of the things that that we forget 
often is although the Jewish people had a certain amount of freedom, like walking around freedom, they were oppressed. And Herod had quite a harsh repression. And I just can't imagine the resentment towards him where he claims to be Jewish. Mm -hmm. He calls himself and the Senate calls him king of the Jews. And yet he is still oppressing the Jewish people like the I I can't imagine the hatred (laughs) that the people must have felt towards him. And, you know, when we think about the Roman Empire, one thing we often talk about is the infrastructure the Roman Empire put in place. And most of that's in the form of roads and buildings and and, and incredible structures that still exist today. Some their roads still exist today. Well, Herod was equally a part of that. And he built incredible buildings and aqueducts and all. He actually built the temple that we think of that the temple that Jesus would go to and um, that had and built it more beautiful and grander than, than the one before. And so it's, it's hard to acknowledge that good things happened in his reign, but at the same time they did. There were some, some, some things that happened that were good. What we don't spend time is how many backs were broken for doing the building, how many people were oppressed to get this done. We sometimes don't go into that, but we do know there was an infrastructure built that was important for later yeah, years. Yeah, that's, that's, he was actually called one of the greatest builders in history. Yeah. Um, now, here's the hard part. When we study just the Bible, there's four Herods that are an integral part of Jesus's life and the the and the um, continuing of Christianity later. Now, are they all bad or are they? They all, they, they all have something that is makes them bad. Not all Herod's bad. There's one, there's one of his sons that was really, they can't find any dirt on at all, but for, but he's not in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't make the cut. He didn't make the cut. Not evil enough. But most people get very confused that they're different Herods. So just to give you a little idea, Herod the Great that you're talking about is the Herod of Jesus's birth. Then Herod Antipas, and I might be pronouncing that wrong, is the Herod that killed, that participated in the killing of John the Baptist, had John the Baptist beheaded. Now, are they related? Yes, sons. Okay, so it's Herod the Great, and then it's his lineage. Okay. Yeah. And um, Herod Antipas, the same one that had John the Baptist beheaded, participated at Jesus's trial. So that's the, if you think of um, Jesus Christ Superstar and think of the song mm-hmm. about Herod, which is a great song, go look it up. And I won't sing it for you now, but Thank I could. You. <laughs> <laughs> and then Herod Agrippa, num- the number one, killed the apostle James. And that's in the book of Acts. And then Herod Agrippa II, a grandson of Herod the Great, participated in all of Paul's hearings about when Paul said, I appeal to Caesar and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's four different Herods and we get really confused. Yeah. It's the same thing with Caesar. There's and there Caesar was a Augustus, daughter Caesar. to Herodia, right? Herodias is the... Herodias. Yeah, okay. Herodias. And she has her own little story because she was married to one person and then an uncle. And that's the whole story behind John the Baptist mm-hmm. being beheaded is that she um, married her uncle and um, her uncle Herod Agrippa. And... Um, and John the Baptist spoke out against that being wrong because she was still married to another in the lineage. Oh, it's not marrying your <laughs> uncle that's wrong. It's well, marrying your marrying uncle is bad enough, but you're she's also still married to his yeah. brother. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they should so, make yeah. a movie about it the is Herods. A soap it's opera. like it, instead of the Kardashians, it's the yeah, Herods. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think it would be very dramatic, and I'm actually surprised nobody has. We need to Google that and see if there's a movie movie about the Herods because it would be fascinating. All right, who's your third one? Let me see. You know, um, I'm gonna go with one that I just. I'm not even sure if he's a real, if he's fictional or true, but I love the story and that's Haman. I was going to say that too, but yeah. I have another one. Yeah. But you go I'm going to go with Haman. And part of it, this is in the book of Esther. And part of it 
is, and he is definitely someone, Haman is definitely someone who was motivated by power and ego, everything he did. And the, the, I love that there's so much irony in the book and, and craziness. And just to give a little snippet of the book, he was in a, Haman was in a high official in the Persian court. Um, we might hear him be labeled as the grand vizier. And so he was a high official. And um, one of the things he enacted was he commanded the people to bow down to him as he passed them. Ego. Everything about ego, control, power, look at me. But don't look at me. But don't look at me. (laughs) Look at me, not not my eyes. (laughs) I'm better than you. And then Mordecai was a Jewish exile living in Persia, and he refused to bow down because he strongly believed that... he has no God but God and that bowing down to somebody else is not doing that. Well, this angered Haman so much that he convinced the king of Persia to issue an edict that all Jews, because of the actions of Mordecai, that all Jews should be executed on a certain date. He even said, this is the day we're going to kill him. And then he went so far as to build a gallows in his own backyard so that he could personally be the executor of Mordecai. So so he built not just a gallows. So he built a gallows for Mordecai specifically. That was something like 60 feet tall. And the reason, and it was like right outside the city line. And the reason that he wanted it built so tall was so that he could look out and see Mordecai's rotting corpse as he was eating his dinner at night as like a form of entertainment. Yeah, I mean it's just it's, sick. It's bad. I yeah, I Heyman I also think is monster, yeah. not misunderstood. No, yeah. We get it, Heyman. And then it's so funny because meanwhile, Mordecai um brings to the king's attention a plot to assassinate the king. And the king says, I'm going to reward Mordecai. And then he forgets about it. And a little later, it's brought to, he remembers about that he never rewarded Mordecai. So the king brings Haman in and said, what should I do to honor someone that I'm greatly pleased with? And who does Haman think he's talking about? He's got to be talking about me. Of course, because he's so egotistical. And so he comes up with this elaborate plan of how he should be honored and then parade him through the city with robes and flowers <laughs> and bring out the fatted calf and bow down to him and yeah. and then he finds out the person being honored is his mortal imminent enemy Mordecai <laughs> and not only that he's the one that the king says to show that we're really honoring him I want you to be the one that's announcing to all the people here is a person that the king is greatly pleased with that just cracks me up yeah, it's just humorous. <laughs> well, and then the end of his story is pretty incredible too, because this all ends with Esther pleading to the king, saying Haman is trying to kill me, and the king is like, "What are you talking about?" Like, and he's really upset because someone's trying to kill his wife, and then she reveals, "I'm Jewish," and he wants to kill all of the Jewish people, and that's when the king has a complete change of art, orders Haman to be executed, and this. I find interesting. Well, and and not only did he order Haman to be, it's the the reason he ordered Haman to be executed is not necessarily solely because of the edict he enacted. It's because he dared to over to, to touch Queen Esther. Oh, that's right. I forgot about he, that part of the story. He touched Queen Esther, leaned on her, and said, "Please save me." And at, at, so he touched the queen inappropriately, and that was it. Yeah. And so he uh, sentenced him to death. And I think that it's interesting that it was actually Haman's wife who went to the king and suggested, hey, he was planning on doing this to Mordecai. Maybe that's how he should die. And he was put up on that 60 foot gallow. And wow. So first of all, the pride and ego on you wanting to kill an entire group of people because one person did something that you didn't like. And then your own wife is suggesting a brutal form of execution. I feel like it all adds up to you aren't very likable. And here's a fun fact. The, the Jewish, um, there's a Jewish holiday called Purim that still celebrates this. And they read the book of Esther. And it just so happened that my husband and I were in Israel during Purim. And 
you know, we were we were like, what is going on? Because it was all everybody was dressed up in costumes like our Halloween. Mm-hmm. They were dressed up in costumes and it's the whole reenactment of Haman being just this person that was just so two faced and horrible and, you know, all of this. And it, it was it's quite a celebration. OK, so here here's where I was kind of like, mm, I'm not sure if I want to bring it up as a villain or not. Satan. What oh do you my think? Gosh, <laughs> we can't talk about villains of the Bible without talking about Satan, Lucifer, whatever. I, so I know you kind of told me you did a deep dive into the Satan stuff just because you knew I was going to bring it up. Well, here's the truth. Um, I don't use in my normal language, even in my role as director of discipleship, I don't talk about Satan Mm. a lot. And so it's not in my normal vernacular. And I I mentioned that to somebody yesterday and they said to me, you know what? I don't either because I don't want to give Satan any credit. (laughs) And I love that. It's like, yeah, let's not give Satan any credit. I'm going to take the possibly unpopular opinion and say Satan is misunderstood. (laughs) But the only reason I say that is because I think we misunderstand how Satan is represented in scripture. Because I think we want to think of Satan as this like evil deity almost that is in conflict with God because that's kind of what the Bible tells us. But I just don't know if that's what Satan actually is. What's fascinating to me is when I did my research and what's fascinating to me is most of what we think of Satan today in Christian circles is more based on John Milton's book, Paradise Lost. Mm. than on what's actually in scripture. So Satan, the devil is mentioned in scripture. Don't get me wrong. It's in there. But these images that we have is more from paradise lost. Even you mentioned Lucifer. Lucifer is not a term ever used for Satan in scripture ever. Is Lucifer mentioned in scripture? Lucifer is never, there is Lucifer is not mentioned, but what is mentioned. So guess what Lucifer actually means? What? Light bringer. Oh, I did know that from the show Lucifer. Yeah. (laughs) Or sometimes called day star Venus. The planet Venus is often called Lucifer because it can be seen in the day. It's one of the planets that can be seen in the day. Well, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, how you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. That's it. Mm. And then there's a time in Luke where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And so people put that together, put that together and said, said, oh, Lucifer. But Lucifer's the name that John Milton uses for Satan in Paradise Lost. So isn't that interesting? So you have to look at over history. It's interesting. The word Satan actually means adversary. Yeah. And so in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, that word Satan is found in only three three places, and it's always in terms of adversary. Um, they didn't. They never connected the serpent to Satan pre New Testament times. So you know the serpent of Genesis that oh, we automatically say Satan. So we retroactively put so, the name Satan on the, on the serpent, serpent once Jesus. Like once we yeah, created like the New during Testament. in the in the intertestament p- period, which is by you know the five hundred years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. so there were some hypotheses well, and that, that that happened. makes more sense to me when Jesus was frustrated with Peter and said, "Get behind me, Satan." He wasn't calling Peter like this evil force, Satan. He was saying, "You're being my, my adversary, adversary right now. Um, stop being my adversary." Yeah. And I think that, and that's the thing that I, and why I label Satan as misunderstood is because I think that what we've done is, um, like I said, we make Satan and a character in the Bible when the truth is, I think that it's often the personification of our own evils, our own um, mistakes and 
just hangups inside of ourselves that we need to wrestle with and overcome, which it makes sense why he would have referred to Peter as Satan. We have these adversarial traits inside of us that we need to put aside. We are the Satan. And so I know that that's going to be a very unpopular opinion, but I've just always had this nagging belief of like, Satan is not a character in the Bible. Uh, Satan is a representation of our own sin. Of the little angel and the little devil sitting on your shoulder. Right. Yeah. So yeah, um, like in the Old Testament, when I said that Satan was used in a couple instances, I'm going to share the most well-known one. And this is when Satan is depicted and and the other two are similar. Satan is depicted as an adversary, but he is a member of God's court sitting next to God in communion with God, but always the one that's saying that's that's pushing and saying, no, no, I'm going to tell you a different way. You know, like in when you're in your meetings, you always have somebody that's kind of an antagonist. That, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I am so Satan. yeah, that's the adversary. <laughs> and so um, the one we think of the most is from the book of Job. And it really confuses us because we think of Satan in our terms now. Mm-hmm. We don't think of Satan in the terms then where Satan and God are having this conversation And Satan says, I don't think Job's as great as you think he is. And a whole conversation takes place. But that's how uh, Satan was depicted as adversary prior to that intertestament period and then the New Testament. Then something happened in the intertestament period and evil became, any evil and demons, Satan is, there is, there is sometime that happened that they started seeing Satan as having a kingdom. Having powers. Yeah. Yeah. The kingdom of Satan became a common term. And then you think of how often Jesus said the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. he was counteracting this kingdom of Satan that had a common, common knowledge among the time. And the kingdom of Satan had demons and the demons, anything that happened that was bad were the demons. Um, that's, but illness. that's where I do get confused because Jesus believed in demons. Yeah. Uh, he expelled demons. He expelled demons, but also think about that was the language of the time. So he didn't say, let's go get an MRI and then we're going to get rid of your illness because we have medication that can do that. What Jesus said is we're going to get rid of your demon because people could understand that. Mm-hmm. And he... And Jesus healed. And, but demons were responsible for psychological problems. Demons were responsible for medical issues. Demons responsible for nature, natural phenomenon that today we have much more scientific knowledge. Mm. And so we don't necessarily, although there still are those that do put that as demons, but we don't necessarily use that language any as much anymore. And so... You know, Jesus, you know, said, you use the example, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and the the conversation that takes place is the devil said, and that's adversary. Mm-hmm. That's adversary. And we've taken it a step further in both humor, the devil made me do it, the angel and the devil, but also a big part of it is from John well, Milton's characterization. That's that's what I really struggle with. And I, I want to talk about um, what the Bible teaches us about evil at a higher level, just like broad strokes, because what I feel like is the reason that villains are so important to stories is to have a scapegoat. And I feel like Satan is often used as a scapegoat for bad Christian behavior of, oh, they just let Satan get to them or things like that. And it's a way for us to not take responsibility for our own actions and to blame it on something outside of ourselves. But to me- And I agree with that because I think that's why I don't use that language often because I see my own human frailty as part of that. I mean, when I'm making a conscious decision to lie, which I do, um, it's not because I'm being incited to do that. It's my human frailty. I'm trying to protect myself or my ego or whatever it is. Um, Now, I would be remiss by not saying this, that both in Jewish um, uh, uh, sacred texts and Christian sacred texts, 
any mention of Satan does end with God being the overcomer, that mm-hmm. God always wins, that, you know, in any of the apocalyptic writing, which is, you know, it's always about good and evil and good wins, God wins. So well, I do want to so, mention that, but that's an apocalyptic writing, which is very different and a whole nother. So what is our scriptural understanding of evil on the whole? Like, is it good versus evil? Or because I, I that feels contradictory to the faith that I grew up in is that good has already won. Evil can't win. Sin, but it, sin exists. Right. Is and that so the evil? Often people, it just like you were saying, I think, and this is, again, I don't have any theological background in this at all, but I do think often people, there are people that equate sin, any sin to evil and demonic powers and a supernatural and all of that. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't exist because remember I talked about dualistic thinking. Dualistic thinking is right and wrong, you know, good and evil. But when we get to where we understand there's mystery, who's to say there's not supernatural, you know, that there's a whole, it's, you know, I think it's acceptable to say there's things we don't understand and never will. And there's mystery. And so what do you think that we're supposed to do with the evil that we see unfolding around us? Like, are we supposed to learn from it, overcome it? Are we, are we called to change it or just learn how to cope with it? Like it's, it's overwhelming the amount of evil acts that we see at work in this world. I think, um, and it's and that's hard because I don't think we're called to be silent, although I can be honest that I have been silent in many cases. So but it's because it's hard. Um, what is in Scripture more than anything else is justice issues, helping, making a difference to those that are marginalized. And we are called to do that. And sometimes, but there again, in every issues, there's layers and layers and layers of nuance. And so that makes it very confusing and difficult for and what we're called to do. And how do you help people? And what if you try to help someone, but it actually hurts them? And there's all these systems in place that we can't overcome. And it it does. It's not black and white. There's it's a ton not. of gray areas and it's really hard. It's hard because, and not all of us are the personality that can charge ahead and make a big difference, but all of us can do something. And so I think when you talk about evil, you talk about violence, you talk about anything like that, what we need to do as Christians is put everything in terms of what Jesus taught, which is to love God and love people. And if anything, anything, a policy, a um, an action, anything is not loving people, we need to, to make a difference Make it, and, and watch that. I was watching just today, um, one of my favorite books is Just Mercy about Brian Stevenson, the attorney. And I was just thinking, now there's somebody that really made a difference, but he made a difference within his career as an attorney. He, and, and he made a huge difference, but it was for it wasn't this global difference. And so I think, isn't there a way each of us within our own lives, if we see something, we say something and we react, we, we try to open our own hearts. You know, we talk about villains being misunderstood. Maybe part of it is learning someone's story, learning the rest of the reason and not just categorizing someone as evil um, because they look different than us or evil because they act different than us is to learn more of the story or because they made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm so guilty of that. Like once if someone has done something that I see as like a selfish evil act, I have trouble getting past it. And however, we want forgiveness for our own selfish evil acts. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a reminder. Aren't evil because we know the mistakes. Yours are evil. Right. Mine are just innocent mistakes. Exactly. And that's that's helpful for us to remember that every person we come in contact is a child of God. 
is created by God. And Jesus said, hey, love them. So are we saying King Herod, Jezebel, Haman, our children of God? I I hate to say it in some of those cases, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, um, we... We just don't know the full story. Yeah. And so I would I would challenge us to change our vernacular and talk about evil acts rather than evil people. Mm. That's a good point. Maybe and and I think we can have heroic acts rather than heroic people. Yeah, because then we have the tendency to put people on a pedestal and then when they make a mistake, we it tears up everything about them um, or on the opposite of if someone that we see as evil does something good, we discredit it because, oh, that was just a fluke. They're actually an evil person. Or we find a reason why, uh, oh, they must be doing this for their own personal gain in some way. And we don't allow ourselves to see the humanity in others like we want others to see the humanity in us. And the hard part is history has people that have done horrific damage to society. Yeah. They had people behind them who had people behind them. Right. And nobody ever stopped to say, have you really looked at this and seen what you're doing? And so it's, you know, we can, is it just the one person or is it a system of evil? And, you know, there's all kinds of conversation that can take place about that. Well, this was fun. And I... I'm very energized around villains. I love having conversations (laughs) around villains. And so uh, we should do this again sometime. See, I've already, I was Maleficent for, for Halloween one year. Oh yeah. I didn't ask you who's your favorite villain. I'm right now leaning towards Cruella DeVille, not because the misunderstood Cruella DeVille, not the murderer of puppies because I love puppies, (laughs) but the reimagined Cruella DeVille. Ooh, with the new <laughs> Cruella movie that came out yes, a couple years yes, ago. Yes, yes. Love it. Because I think she's a misunderstood. I don't really think she hated Dalmatians. That's love my it. thought. All right. <laughs> Catch you next week where okay. we talk about love stories from the Bible, some of the greatest romances. So I'll see you then. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.